Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Welcome back to another edition of the 19th Tee Podcast, Drudes. Always good to have your company. Very excited to be here, Marsha. Exciting chat coming uh, our listeners' way today, that's for sure. Yeah, this is one I've been really looking forward to. Probably had uh, in the pipeline ever since we had the genesis of the idea to kick off the 19th Tee, let alone had a few episodes under our belt. But it's a man that I know uh, has got some, not just some outstanding stories, but some some great insights into how you know people like you and I could improve our game i speak of course of strength and conditioning coach he also goes by exercise scientist and the owner of wink fit here in brisbane matt winkley winks welcome to the 19th t thank you very much gents i'm excited to have a chat now one straight off the bat and and admittedly without notice uh a three ball is awkward that's where we find ourselves at the moment wink so if you were to choose a fourth if you had your pick of a fourth ball who would be joining you on the tee Ooh, any uh, any stipulations around that? Living? No stipulations dead. at all, my friend. We draw a great crowd at the 19th tee, so I'm sure anyone would be happy to join you. Oh, mate, I tell you, it's it's tough to go past uh, past Tiger, really, isn't it? Um, I mean, that's I've been I've been uh, I've been privileged enough to stand about six foot away from him for about forty minutes on the range and just kind of you know try and pick my uh, pick my floor up off the off the floor watching that. So it'd be awesome to play eighteen with him. Let me tell you, it's probably pretty cliche, but um, I think as all as golfers we can all respect what he does out in the course. Cliches are welcome here, Winks, because I think uh, <laughs> Rick would be more than welcome, not only on a tee but on this program. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so if you're yeah, tuning in as you uh, prepare for the President's Cup, Tiger, feel free to drop us a line, the 19th T at uh, gmail.com. Slip into our DMs, Tiger. <laughs> Winks, obviously, uh, the WinkFit brand is synonymous uh, with people looking to better their fitness here in Brisbane, particularly in the northwestern suburb. I'm curious to know how you made the jump from being somebody that people in Brisbane trust to look after their body to making the jump to traveling as part of PGA to teams. What are you being able to, to marry up, uh, you know, your, your passion for golf, but also your profession as a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. So, um, I am actually uh, probably, I was a late bloomer or a late doctor of golf. I guess I didn't touch a club until I was 19. Um, <clears throat> so that's only, you know, 11, 12 years ago. Um, and it essentially, a mate of mine was not a great golfer by any means, but he, he was a keen golfer and um, wanted someone to play with. So uh, for my birthday, he bought me a set of uh, these filthy little top flights, um, just a, a cheap little set. And he was like, right, the, the only stipulation is you got to come play with me. And I was like, mate, I'm in, let's do it. So we spent, you know, kind of every Saturday, second Saturday, getting on the council courses or anywhere that wasn't a, a private, private club and uh playing and i just got the bug i just i love so many things about it um you can never really conquer it so it's, it's always just a, a work in progress and um from there i was obviously lucky enough to to have my degree in the the exercise size side of it and, and the physical kind of adaptations and so i started tinkering with myself and working on bits and pieces 
looking at how I could improve my own game. And, um, you know, turns out I, I quite enjoy that. And I think that when you really have a passion for something and enjoy it and love it, that kind of exudes and, and other people pick that up and they go, oh, this is pretty cool. Like you've got a, a guy who, you know, hits the ball decently, but also understands the the physical side of it and kind of can match them up. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, why guys in that golfing world turn to me and, and ask them to, uh, or ask me to, to help them out. Now the Wink Fit brand is pretty synonymous with uh, the northern and northwestern suburbs of Brisbane. If you're anyone trying to uh, make yourself aesthetically more pleasing, you're doing it so at Wink Fit here in Brisbane. But I'm curious as to know, how did you take, um, you know, your your ethos and turn it into two players? Because obviously you've spent some time in the past with some some relatively household names here in Australian golf, the likes of Cameron Smith, Lucas Herbert, uh, being in their team full time. So how did you make the jump from someone who, you know, was beginning to get a name for himself to understand the mechanical uh, and the physical aspects, as you said, of the golfing body to, you know, making your way into the... the... Yeah, um, basically my, most of my role early on, um, in my career, I should say, rather than role, is that kind of sports background. So whether it might be rugby or athletics or um, just doing some some stuff in the gym with the guys. So I tend to take that athletic approach with the general population in the gym. So when these guys kind of came and asked for a bit of help, it wasn't too much of a jump to go back to what I was doing with that athletic population um, of that high-end stuff. Uh, however, it just tends to be a little bit more uh, daunting, I guess, when all of your decisions uh, directly influence what you might have a three, four, five, six, ten million dollar athlete, um, and you're directly responsible for their physical capabilities and whether or not you know they're injured or, or um, things like that. So you really have to know kind of what you what you're putting in your programs and why you're putting them in there, and look at your risk and reward ratios. And in terms of your role in a tour team, what does that look like when you're going on the road with these players day to day? What is it that you're helping them with? Um, it's it basically oh, a, bit, a bit of everything. Um, majority is we're looking obviously the gym stuff. So, okay, we're looking at a full full program for the year. Uh, what weeks are we really trying to target? Okay, we've got a big big travel block here. How are we going to manage that? Um, so for example, when I travel with Lucas, um, try and stay with me here cause it's, uh, it gets pretty hectic. So we had a 10 week stint, um, and we were in the position where we didn't really get to set our schedule. Very different with someone like Cam, who was in the, inside the top 50 of the world. So he got his pick of whatever tournament he wanted where Lucas wasn't quite there. So I went from Brisbane to Manchester, Manchester to New York, New York to Denmark, Denmark to Chicago. Chicago to Vegas, Vegas we drove to LA and then flew LA to Berlin, Berlin went back to London, London to Ireland, Ireland to Scotland and then I came home. So the only reason I, I, I identify that is because trying to manage uh, jumping the, the timeline that many times with an athlete and, and trying to keep them fresh for these, these big tournaments um, can, be, can be quite a challenge. So sometimes I get a say in the schedule. Other times I don't get a say because it's just, you got to play what you got to play. Um, so from that, we look at our sleep protocols as well. Um, what we call sleep hygiene, um, what hotel rooms we're looking at, what we need in these hotel rooms. Um, are we on a bunch of electronics before we go to sleep? 
Um, look at our food as well, not only pre-round, but during the round, post-round, is it particularly hot? Do we need to get a lot more hydration in? Um, do we need to get in the pool and do a bunch of recovery stuff? Um, daily massages are, are right up there with these guys. Um, they like to feel long and loose and limber, um, and most of them do that with um, a little massage every, every now and then. Um, so it's kind of all-encompassing, really. What sort of frequent fly miles are you you racking up there, Wings? It must be. Um, you'd be going okay, I suggest. Yeah, it just just means you spend too much time in airports, though, mate. That's really all it, all it means. <laughs> now, um, take us through take us through a standard playing day. Obviously, um, you, you've spoken a little bit about getting to to tournaments and everything that goes into it. But say, first day of a tournament on a Thursday, what what is that? day from start to finish typically look like um okay to kind of answer that we'll probably dial back a little bit and start with monday so generally we're either getting into a tournament sunday night or, or perhaps monday morning depending on where we're coming from and and what the schedule is for for that week um if it's been a decent travel day or we're coming off a big week um prior uh, so i always test my guys and we're testing their their neural excitability, essentially. So how, how much force they can produce. So for example, if they've had a, a playoff on a, on a Sunday and they're just mentally drained, I'll test them and I go, look, listen, there's no point flogging a dead horse here. You're not moving that well. Let's just do a bit of more mobility. We won't really do too much on a Monday. Um, have the day off, have a rest day. So if that happens, then I've got to squeeze my gym sessions in later in the week. So it's kind of, it's always, you can have the best plan laid out and it just, it never seems to, to go exactly how you think. So you've always got to be adapting on the fly on a weekly basis, a daily and a weekly basis. So um, we might get a, a session in a gym session on Tuesday. Then if your players, um, you know, I don't want to say you know, ranked too highly or, or um, in or is desired, essentially they'll play in the pro-am. So then you've got either, you've got to wait till Monday night or Tuesday to find out when you're playing in the pro-am. So it could be morning or afternoon. So you can't plan what uh what time you're going to do gym depending on that so um that changes then obviously you don't find out until tuesday night when you're teeing off uh you might get an early one on thursday you might get a late one um if it's a late tee off on thursday we won't do any gym prior we'll basically just turn up to the course and go from there um, um then if you go the opposite if you get an early thursday then you might do some gym on thursday afternoon um, but you've got to keep in mind you've got a short turnaround and you'll play Friday morning. So once you've got that in place, um, going now to turning up on the actual day, uh, most people will sit around that two hour mark uh, before tee off, that's when we arrive at the course. So we arrive, I use Cam for an example, it's two hours prior, uh, we come in, um, depending again, morning or afternoon, he might go and have some breakfast. Um, I'll go and have a look in the locker, make sure we've got what we need, grab the stuff out of the locker, set up the, with the warm up stuff. He'll come in, we'll do, 30 minutes of warm up, um, a lot of a lot of partner assisted stuff, a lot of firing up. He goes, oh man, I'm sore here, I'm tight here. I just feel like I'm not really moving too much. Um, it might just be, mate, it's a big tournament. Let's just get you fired up. Let's just get you moving. Let's get some power production. Let's go. Um, he might say, mate, I'm, I'm literally, I'm flat to the wall. And it's like, okay, well, again, let's dial it back a little bit. Let's just get through what we can. Uh, he's been sick a couple of times. So, you know, you just got to adapt with that when you go. Um, then... Once the warm-up's basically done, um, he'll head out and mark his balls and have a bit of a putt, and go to the range, 
stuff on the range, which I'm, I'm watching, but I'm not necessarily an active part. Um, I very much stay in my lane. I, I like to play golf, but I also, I'm not at the level where I'm telling guys inside the top hundred, how they should be, should be moving, um, if swing, swing capabilities, pretty antsy. Um, so I'm just watching, I'm just seeing what I can do, you know, getting feedback or I'll talk to the caddy or just, you know, keep the mood light or whatever. For a lot of those guys, when you, you're away for X number of weeks or, or living in the States or in, in Europe or wherever it is, just having another another friendly Aussie in and around can make a world of difference where we just, you know, we get the same jokes and we kind of got the same humor and stuff like that. So it can be a huge difference just to keep it light and, uh, and playful before they go out and, you know, tee it up at somewhere like uh, Augusta or something like that. Wings, you mentioned staying in your lane and how conscious you are of that. I'm, I'm curious, in your experience, when these players are asking you to come on the road with them, what is it that they're really seeking from you? Because there's a lot of different elements and skill sets within their teams. You know, they've got their masseuse you spoke about. They've got their swing coach. They've got their caddy. They've got probably their manager at times on the road. You're all inputting different things into making this individual successful. So in your experience, you know, are they coming to you just to get that extra 10% that could be the difference? Are they coming to you because they feel conscious that they're out of shape and it's costing them shots? What is it that they're trying to really seek from you? Uh, it's very individualized in terms of, you know, some of the guys, no one I've worked with has been, you know, been out of shape and we've been starting from point zero essentially. So, um, that definitely happens though, uh, not in my experience or my personal experience. More so when you say, you know, oh, they get the last 10%, 10% would be phenomenal. We're talking about 1%. Mm. You know, we're talking about, I, I always talk about every, everyone gets to see the same course for the same duration of time before we tee off. Everyone has a track man. Everyone has a swing coach full time or at least, you know, can send videos and do stuff like that. Everyone has a full time caddy. Like all of these things, everyone has the same stuff. It's just a matter of who implements these things the best. So, you know, when we're talking about like looking at recovery and we're like, oh, mate, you know, your sleep percentage is down in the, in the 70s tonight. Like we need to really, you know, when you sleep, you know, sleep deprived on, on that level, you're going to tend towards some more calorie dense foods that are going to be high in fat and sugar, um, maybe a little bit of salt in there as well. So we just got to keep that in mind because there's a knock on effect there. Um, so little things like that where we're trying to really get those one percenters right um, can be a huge, huge difference. So, um in terms of staying in your lane, you, it's just you've got to have a good communication between everyone in the team. Um, too many chefs tend to, to spoil the meal. So um, generally someone will take charge, whether that's the, the coach or the head of athletic performance or whoever. It's, it's different in every team because they're all set up differently. Um, and you just got to make sure you, you're communicating well and, and, okay, this is what we're aiming to do. How are we going to do that? You know, and don't be uh, don't be afraid to go put your hand up and go like, mate, that's not my area of expertise. So handball it on to, to whoever it is, rather than trying to be the hero and, and do it from there. So, from my perspective, they, they come to me because they want to remain injury free or even rehab an injury, depending on where they're at. Um, generally, get stronger um, so that way their force goes up and they can hit the ball a little bit further. Because you know, an extra one or two percent um, on those drives means you're coming in with the club less. Uh, then your proximity to pin goes down. Um, I think the make percentage on tour from 10 foot is like 43% or something like that. So, you know, we're talking about every foot further from the pin you are, 
um, then you're less likely to make those putts, and they they could be a real real difference between keeping your card or not, or even winning a tournament or not. And just in terms of the the dynamic of the team, I mean, you mentioned that that insane travel schedule you had with Lucas earlier in the year, and whether or not you're always all there or uh, members of the team are dropping in and out, but you're in each other's pockets for an awfully long time. So what's the dynamic like when it's not always centered around golf? You're in the hotels together. You're trying to kill time together. You're out, you know, trying to, um, you know, find some entertainment together. What's that dynamic like amongst a touring team when you're on the road for so long? Very different between teams. Um, people have different ways of doing different things and, um, you, you just, you, you've got to have a thick skin or at least, you know, understand that everyone's in the same boat. So when someone turns around and goes, Hey, I just want to do my own thing tonight or no, you guys go like, you, you just leave it. You don't pressure them. You don't like, they obviously just need some space. Um, and, and particularly you're traveling with a team where people have got girlfriends and wives and they haven't seen them for, for 10 weeks. And it's just like, man, I just want to sit on FaceTime for, you know, for an hour or something like that. I'm not interested in, in having dinner with the team tonight. And you don't take that to heart. You just got to understand that that's part of, um, part of that and if uh if we're going to stay in each other's pockets for that duration of time you have to have that that separation so um yeah you tend to sometimes you splinter off like you know um i get on well with um with most of the caddies um they're a really interesting bunch of people so i find them quite quite uh, fun to, to hang out with so um most of those guys will have a uh have a beer post round or something like that so you can always just go in and, and sit down and have a chat and and uh kind of get away from the players themselves um, and, and not kind of be in each other's pockets and stress that professionalism, I guess, from that aspect. But every team's different depending on, you know, whether or not the, the caddy is the best friend of the player or it's a professional relationship completely or you know, there'd be a thousand different ways to set it up um, on the PGA Tour or any tour for that matter. Wings, I was doing a bit of research uh, by stalking you on Instagram today. Did I see the first for everything? Did I see you correctly uh, that you've spent some time on the bag? Is that correct? Uh, I've done bits and pieces. Um, so I I can't remember what year it was. Maybe 2015. Uh, the Aussie um, PGA at the first year where they tied the Royal Pines. Mm. Um, I I quite enjoy caddying and just golf in general. So I. I um, I sent an email to the tournament director and was like, Hey, I'm a keen golfer. Um, if anyone needs a caddy that's coming out, that, you know, he's maybe not at the level of, of paying for a caddy to come all the way to Australia. They let me know. I'd be happy to, to donate my time essentially. And he emailed me back and said, man, I've got this guy coming out from England that doesn't have a caddy. Um, Mark Foster, do you want to jump on? And I was like, yep, great. And anyway, so Mark, Turned up, uh, we were playing Pro-Am Wednesday. So he arrived Tuesday night. So I've met him for the first time on Wednesday morning and we're playing in the Pro-Am. And I honestly thought, I was like, oh, this is such a waste of time. He hit it <laughs> sideways. I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm, I reckon I could have a better chop at this. And he said to me, he he's like, mate, don't, honestly, don't read too much into this. I'm really jet lagged. Like I was in South Africa before this. I've been on the road a little bit, like I'll come good. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's sweet, we'll see. Anyway, so we go out there Thursday and it's blowing a gale. And uh, Brent Snake was playing and he has like 15 over. We shoot three red. We're leading. And uh, 
I was like, how good is this? This is amazing. Who's this bloke? So anyway, I'm home with my mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I make the drive home and you know, I'm obviously pumped and we can get back Friday again. Same thing. We, uh, we come out and we shoot one or two on or something like that. So we're, we're tied first um, with David Lingmurth, who's obviously one on the PGA Tour. So we're going into Saturday um, in the final group. So I get to sleep in Saturday morning and, and turn up at the, at the course. And the tournament director comes over to me and he said, mate, never have I paired a random caddy with someone <laughs> and they've made, it's like they, they, re- they rarely make the cut and I've never had someone leading the tournament. So I don't know what you're doing, but just keep doing it. And I was like, cool, sweet. So um, we ended up, we, we struggled a little bit over the weekend. We ended up top 20 there somewhere, but uh, that was, that was probably my, uh, my one foray into the uh, caddying. <laughs> I, I call myself a European tour caddy to the, to the boys as a bit of a joke, but. Not really. Absolutely, you would. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably go one step further and say, uh, how many of you have had the the clubhouse leader after two rounds on the back, boys? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wings, so, you know that I'm sure is one of many uh, experiences that you know you've probably had to pinch yourself a bit <clears throat> your timing off because you balance being a professional working in the game with an avid fan. So, how often do you find yourself? just taking stock and saying, you know, how lucky am I that I've been, I've managed to strike this, this fantastic marriage between one of my passions and, 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 you know, my, my professional life. And, and what are a few of those other moments that you've had on tour where you've really had to pinch yourself? Yeah, it happens a lot. Um, it probably doesn't happen as much in the moment as I would like to admit. Um, it definitely, when I reflect back though, like outside of them, the moments themselves, that's where I really go. I'm like, you know, um a massive one for me is i was so fortunate to to go with cam to the masters in in 2018 where we finished we had a we had a seven foot putt on 18 to shoot 29 on the back like that was such a phenomenal afternoon to walk outside the ropes and just have have someone that you've you've had input with um you're shooting it shooting the lights out and, and people really taking stock and then we we made the turn through uh the back of 15 and there's a huge scoreboard there and um they took the bottom name off and put Smith up there. And it's, that's something I'll remember for the, like the rest of my life. Like I'm never going to play Augusta, never going to do that. That's the closest I'm going to get to essentially, you know, having a little bit of that, uh, that myself. And it was really cool to, to play that role. So um, when I reflect on that, it's like, there's a lot of people in golf that would, you know, give their left testicle to turn up to Augusta period. Mm. Like, that's just not you're a speaking, dumb thing. You're and speaking to two of them at the moment, Matthew. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> mate. It's, it's, trust me, I don't take it lightly. Um, and, and I was fortunate enough to, to not only go, but to get paid to work there. So it's like, we'll, we'll work with someone there. So that in itself is like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty big, pretty big thing. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned earlier on, a couple of times I've been on the range when, uh, when Tiger's been there and then, that's been cool. He's not going to play forever. And, and there's going to be people that are going to have to read about how good he was and how they talk about this and that and how hard he goes to the ball and, and whatever. But, you know, I'll be able to tell my grandkids that, you know, I stood, you know, four, six, five feet away, whatever it is, and watched him hit these balls. And, and that, uh, that's not lost on me either. It's some of the, the history that goes along from there. Speaking of the cat, I understand uh, there was a little... Little encounter or a little story out of uh, out of the PGA between yourself and the great man. Yeah, um, well, I don't know. It wasn't really between the two of us. He didn't really acknowledge <laughs> me, but um, we were adjacent, or at least <laughs> within the same <laughs> circumference of a few. 
<laughs> yeah, he um, he was off about 40 minutes before us. So I think it might have been the Friday, the PGA, Bethpage Black. So, again, another huge, huge kind of name course. Um, and I'd done something and I was heading over. When you leave the, the practice putting green to go over to the range, there's this big race that you've got to go up and then go across um, over the top of the, the pedestrians, essentially. So, it's, it's completely cordoned off from from the public and I, w- I was hustling for, for some reason like I was in, I was in a rush and I've got got on my bag and got everything and I get to the bottom of the stairs to go up this race and go over the pedestrian thing and I look up and Tiger's just about to start coming down the race and just without even thinking I don't know honestly I just I stepped back off the off the stairs and just stood there with like my hands just like by my side like I was a three-year-old waiting to go into kindergarten <laughs> and just waited for him to like no one else was on the stairs like and then so three other people kind of like lined up behind me waiting for him to come <laughs> down the stairs and the messiah he just, yeah like I didn't even want to step on the same stairs that he was on and then his security was kind of like you know in behind him there and he just had this this uh glaze on he was in game mode and didn't no acknowledgement of like oh thanks mate or anything like that and like to be fair yeah good good on him he was just in game mode and just didn't acknowledge me walked straight past steely glaze and uh away he went and i was like right now i can get back on with my day and i hustled up the stairs and across to the range you know it's funny (laughs) it's funny mate because in my head i i compare that to recently watching coverage of his win at the zozo in japan and there were people literally leaning over the ropes to touch him and you you yeah. found yourself in a position where you didn't want to share the same staircase with the great man in case i, I don't know your, your your exhaling breath offended him or something like yeah i know i was like i don't want to be the one to take him out of game mode but i don't want that on my conscience imagine if you just remembered that one day like down the track you see him and you just go <laughs> You know what, Tiger? It was me that was on the stairs that day. I wonder if you'd ever remember that. Potentially not. Um, no way. <laughs> it'd be cool if you did, though. Um, yeah, it would be cool. Moving on to to some of the sort of the themes around the PGA Tour at the moment, we saw Bryson DeChambeau take some time off to to bulk up. That's exactly what he said he was going to do. He didn't play many events in the fall. Um, how much of it is a, um, I suppose, becoming more prevalent in on the PGA and, and in other tours around the world? How much of a theme is it becoming around strength and conditioning and bulking up, I suppose, to, to hit the ball further um, and, and be more limber and have a greater range of motion and all those sort of things that come from, from programs like yours? Yes, it's certainly becoming more and more. Um, it, golf is inherently seen as a non-athletic sport really um and i think that's led by a lot of your your general your your your, your ceo type guys who, who play golf and and aren't that athletic and, and sit at a desk all day and then come out and play but realistically when we look at that top end or even at the, at the bottom end it's a very athletic sport um from from even the warm-ups through to okay well how are you going to hit the ball further so you want more force and more force equals mass times acceleration. So either you've got to accelerate faster or you've got to have a greater mass behind that, the, the, uh, behind the club, which is then obviously the club head and then transferring into club, uh, into ball speed rather. So yeah, there's, there's only a certain number of things you can do to influence that. Um, so if you've maxed a couple of them out, you get guys like, you know, Bryson may not be able to swing the club any or accelerate the club any faster. So he's gone, well, the easiest thing for me is to try and stack on 
two, three kilos of muscle um, in the right places, um, and that's going to help me really increase my force and then get the ball out there a little bit further, as we spoke about. And a lot of the guys, you look at uh, whether it's Brooks or DJ or Rory or Jace or Tiger, they'd much rather come out of the rough with a wedge than mm. more often than more often than not the middle of the fairway with a seven iron. Mm. Um, it's just the, the closer you are to the pin. So yeah, the closer you are to the pin, the closer you're uh, you're going to get that ball for that second shot um, from what the stats tell us. So getting that distance out there, I can't recommend highly enough to try and get that up for everyone, all golfers. Um, and then you can kind of, I always say that, uh, you know, it's my job to make you hit the ball a long way. Um, where you hit it, that's a coach's job. So you get get the power up and then they can straighten you out. All care, no responsibility. I'm just going to go long. I'm not going to direct you. I'm just going to get it out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You've obviously been watching me play. <laughs> Winks, one of the things I love most about the, the game is it's not prohibitive in terms of size or shape. There are golfers uh, of all different descriptions. You have worked with many of them from those on the PGA tour to those who walk into wink fit and want to improve, you know, their, their pennant round or just their comp round on a Saturday morning. Whilst that might be the case, I'm wondering in your opinion, is there a, a more preferable size or shape than others for golfers and and do you find that people try to model themselves on certain uh, body shapes and sizes as opposed to say certain swings that's a really good question um and it's something that i have learned over the last kind of two or three years being in that that top end or sorry being exposed to that top end um i used to think you know adam scott adam scott's constantly touted as like you know that's that's the way you want to set up and look at his angles and this and that and it's right like he's got amazing angles but the guy's also an athletic freak so um trying to get there is just not going to be realistic for some people um but in saying that if i could say to someone listen you're going to look and swing it like mark leesham but you're going to make 25 million us are you happy with that yes please. um so yeah exactly um <laughs> So the, the more time I spend at that top end, the less I find that there is this ideal approach or ideal swing or ideal um, body shape. Um, the more I'm exposed to people like Matt Wolf or um, Jim Furyk or you know whoever you want to pick, there's a thousand different ways to get it. Uh, most of them have something in common where they return that club face square um, or they at least set up fairly fairly neutral as well. But um, I think you can definitely, there's some risk reward there and, and nothing's free. So it's like when I look at a player and they go, hey, I want to achieve this. We go, okay, well, realistically, what's it going to take to get there? Because while we're focusing on that, we can't be doing X. So is this the most important thing or can we be re kind of redistributing our concentration to, to something else and, and have a better outcome in the long run? So I'm, I'm, more and more coming around to the fact that um, biomechanically there is some things that you definitely want to do, but outside of that, for the most part, it's just like whatever works for you. Guys, well, mostly amateurs and, and Saturday hackers like myself, we're very, very quick to spend big money on, on new clubs, new irons, wedges, drivers. When a lot of the time it's, to do with our range of motion it's to do with our movement um obviously it's to do with our swing and, and we all put off golf lessons but 
does it frustrate you or perhaps frustrates not the right word, but does it frustrate you when you see blokes going out spending 800 bucks on a new driver when they could, you know, come and see blokes like yourself to, to make some major improvements that are going to be quite significant to the, to their game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, again, it frustrates me a little bit. Also, but, also you know, guilty as charged. So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I play with a, you know, I play with guys every week, and uh, and I just look at some of these swings. And obviously, you don't say don't say anything. You don't want to be that bloke. But you're saying, okay, well, I, I can literally see this is what's limiting factor here and here. And if we did some of that, and in my head, I'm just constantly going through it and looking at looking at those kind of identifying factors um I, I just wish if i could just teach everyone one thing it's just like there's your know, technology is not going to be able to overpower what the body can't do like if you physically can't get into a good position it doesn't matter how new your driver is or how hot the face is or twist face or whatever shaft you've got in it it's just not going to be able to do it um so you're going to be left with the same crappy patterns and Again, the biomechanics are going to kick in, and if that face is closed, but you're coming over the top of it, and you're going to get that what we call that old man cut, where you get that really hard left to right. Um, you know, a lot of that is is a lot to do with your hip hip mobility, and the same thing that kind of goes hand in hand with you get a little bit of lower back pain, and generally your hips have lost some mobility from there. So, um, yeah, I would love to love for people to kind of realise that. They're 800 bucks that they're going to spend on the new tidy or Callaway or whatever it is. Uh, that would be way, way, way better if you spent it on someone like me and said, "Right, you got 800 bucks. That's all I've got. What can I teach you in that so you can go and be somewhat self-sufficient?" Or is 800? Go to any golf coach and say, "I've got 800 bucks. What can you do me for?" Um, and, and turn that into the, the process you want to go or the way you want to go, rather than trying to buy new stuff. Um, I also explained to the guys when they're like, oh, yeah, PT and, you know, this and that. I said, well, l l let, me let me look at it this way with you. You can't do X. And my job is to make sure that you are the most athletic you can be. So that when you get to the golf coach and he says, I need you to be able to do this position, if you can do that immediately, you've just saved a bunch of time and effort. If for whatever reason you can't get into that position, the coach has two options. He's either going to refer you to me and say, listen, you, you can't really, we're not going to get anywhere past this until you can do this. So you're going to end up coming back to see me. Or he's going to find a workaround. He's going, okay, cool. We can't get that on plan that way. Let's do this instead. Um, however, it may take him three or four lessons um, to figure out that workaround or to teach it to you or do whatever. So in that, in that time, you've paid 100 plus an hour for those four lessons. Um, so you're out of pocket 400 bucks when realistically, if you're the athlete that can turn up and do that straight away, do that movement straight away, you've just saved 400 bucks. So when I explain it to them like that, they kind of go, Oh, okay. I, I see how, I see how that might be, you know, somewhat beneficial to me. Very you've beneficial. Got, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Un unbelievably. So you, you've got plenty of people who walk into the gym at Wingfit here in Brisbane and whether it's, you know, running their own program, uh, running a program with yourself, going to the specific golf program that I know that you run it at Wingfit. What do you, what do you see as the most common issue and, and is it relatively easy fix with a lot of people? Cause I imagine many people coming in are saying to you, I want to hit the ball 30 meters further. And in their mind, it means doing all upper body weights. 
but you might see it mm. as simple as you're not rotating your hips fully and really your biggest problem is mobility, not strength. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's like such a complex question in terms of um, how we approach that, I guess. Uh, there could be any number of reasons as to why they're not hitting it hitting it further. But for the most people, they don't have that, that athletic component. They don't move very well. Um, they've been sitting at a desk for 30 years or 40 years and, and they've really let, the, let that kind of athletic just leak out of them. So getting them a lot of awareness of, of their proprioception of, okay, what's their spine doing? Like, I go, I need you to, you know, extend or flex the spine. They go, what do you, what do you mean? Like, like this? I'm like, no, like that's, you know, so we go through that type of stuff and then we start to add the rotation aspect to it. And it's like, okay, can you separate your hips from your upper body? Um, so, you know, I'm working with, uh, and this is what I mean by going back to those one percenters. Like I've got a 17 year old girl at the moment who plays off plus four and her coach was like, she can't separate her upper body from her lower body. And people, when I tell people that, they go, what do you mean? She's off plus four. She obviously has a pretty good job. She She's does. Relative, relative, yeah. You know, relative to the, the rest of us hackers, she's great. But at that 1% level, uh, she's definitely got more room to improve. So um, that's where we're kind of looking at. And you got to remember the golf is a, a game of literal millimetres. Um, so when we're talking about, okay, a degree open, a degree closed on that club face, which is obviously influenced by the body. So what are the hips doing? Um, you know, do you have that extra five degrees of hip range that you need? Okay, no, well, then that's why we're doing this, do that. So um, I've been lucky enough to, obviously, with the amount of flights we went over before, you're sitting beside coaches, you kind of, you've got an opportunity to, to really think of some, some in-depth questions and go, right, if I do this, I do that, how does that affect the swing? And they go, well, you know, and they can kind of talk through that knock-on effect, which is very, very helpful when you're looking at, okay, well, if I do this, what am I expecting to see in the swing? So, um I mean, for example, this is a cool little story. I've got one of the guys I've been working with about 18 months now and genuine just weekend warrior. Um, works Monday to Friday, doesn't play during the week, gets out on a Saturday, Sunday if he can, plays off anywhere between 11 to 14. Um, I got a text the other day, he had square off the stick. Um, and like we've been doing, we've been doing a lot of work with just, you know, he had no idea how to kind of, he gets that real slidey hip thing, which then tends he kind of pulls on the handle and leaves the club face open and hits these weak little cuts. So we've been working on a lot more of extending that left leg and letting that club face square up and stop trying to control the face. Um, and that's all a byproduct of, of what the body does because the body controls the club or influences the club, I should say, which is um, something I picked up from Scotty Cameron. So, you know, if the body's not set up or working in tune, it doesn't matter. Like it's just going to influence that club and it's probably going to be negative. So, yeah, that's phenomenal for me to have a guy, you know, as, as golfers, we all love to go, oh, imagine if we could just shoot, you know, this and that. And uh, like he didn't do it. He did, uh, I think it was like 14 pars, a double, a bogey and three birds or something like that. And um, so there was plenty of plenty of colour on the scorecard. But, um, you know, that's something he's super proud of and will tell people for a, a long time. Any plans to open up a, a, a centre here in Perth, mate? Because it sounds like I could <laughs> probably do with a bit of work here, mate. Do you teach over FaceTime, yeah. mate? <laughs> yeah. One day. One um, day. No, Might have to move to no, 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 uh, no plans. I, 
I quite like having just the one facility and, and trying to, you know, make that. Uh, I don't feel like I've got that one completely optimised yet. So I quite like the fact of just pouring all my time and effort into that. And if I get the opportunity to do a little bit of a travel, see the world and get paid for it, then that's a, that's a pure bonus. What about, you were talking about the weekend warriors there, and that's probably where we fit into to that sort of category. What is there, without giving too much away, because we obviously want people to head down to Wink Fit and check out your programs, what is there is there some little sort of techniques that we as weekend warriors can do each night maybe it's five ten minutes worth of stretching or is there is there little things that we can do at home as as weekend warriors that are going to see gradual improvements in our range of motion and, and ultimately in our game yeah absolutely it's it's a tough one to answer um over the phone without actually demoing to to people um from there um what I do have, uh, we're in the midst of redeveloping our website at the moment, and part of that redevelopment, we'll have. Um, I've got a little ebook, um, like a little ten-page thing with um, some some mobility bits and pieces that people can jump on and um, and do them on a daily basis or a semi-daily basis, however they however they choose to do it. But that's um, that's probably the first port of call I would I would suggest. Mind you, there's yeah, there's plenty of people on Instagram or bits and pieces that you'll be able to pick up. Um, tips from as well and physically be able to look at at what's going on rather than um, me blabbing on over uh, whether in their cars or, or at home or whatever. Now, Winks, uh, you, we've spoken a lot, as I mentioned, and and and, and Drew's has mentioned, and, and hopefully people do, particularly if they are in Brisbane, uh, take a look into Wink Fit because you do an outstanding job down there with you and your team. But I understand there's a little bit of a new venture coming along that is specifically tailored towards the golfing audience. Tell us a little bit about Jim to Green. Yeah, that's um, something that um, I hadn't really come about. I, just, I was chatting to a mate one day about uh, he's, he's very good. He's got a social media company and um, does a lot with uh, – he's got some fashion stuff as well. And he's, he's an avid golfer, plays off seven, um, loves it. And he was like, mate, I just – like when we talk, I always pick something up. Like there's always something I learn and he goes, I just, I, there's no one doing really good content uh, in terms of the actual content stuff uh, with the production quality of like a proper, proper thing. And he's like, you know, we should maybe have a crack at it. And I was like, great, let's do it. I'm all, all about it. Um, you know, the more people I can help play better golf than the, the better. So that's really where it's, uh, where it came from. And uh, we're in the process now of just finalizing the first couple of episodes. Uh, we have an Instagram, Jim to Green, which is up and running. I don't think there's too much on there at the moment, um, but that's definitely a space to watch. Um, this thing's going to be cool. We've got some really cool topics um, coming out, and uh, they're going to be super digestible. I think uh, you know, 10, 12 minute type blocks, um, even less um, for the first couple as we go. And we're going to do cover all the stuff we've spoken about today. Essentially, you know, tying in those knock-on effects of okay, if you do this or if you struggle with this, there's a good chance that your body's not doing this. How do you fix it? Or well, here's how you go about it and um, and go from there. So I'm excited to uh, actually not so much to get in front of the camera. It's kind of quite intimidating, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite as good as you boys. But I was just um, going to say, I'm sure if I'm you uh, hit, hit KM up, he, he'll absolutely jump at the chance to get in front of the camera. Oh, I might be able to find some spare time. Yeah, on yeah, there it maybe. is. I'm, uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I knew it had come yeah. out. Um, so yeah, that's um that's something we're kind of just doing in the uh, 
as a little offshoot, a little side project, which has um, been quite a lot of fun. Winks, last question from me, because um, you've been fantastic with your time. Most blokes kind of rock up before a round, whether they're playing nine or 18, um, maybe half an hour before they go and hit 20 or 30 balls at the range and have a couple of practice swings, maybe a putt and a chip if there's time. And then they get out there and just start, start swinging and, and, and play their round. Is there any sort of little tips that you can perhaps leave us with, um, I suppose, aside from hitting range balls um, before a round? That, that might help us uh, warm up better, if that's uh, for a lack of a term. Absolutely. There's, uh, there's very few people that warm up efficiently or, or properly before. They generally just go and hit some, hit some nuggets um, and, and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling all right. I'm just kind of going from there. But the issue is you, you're going to hit balls. You've, it doesn't matter whether it's on the range or on the first tee. You're still swinging cold. So most people will roll out of their car, grab their bag, they go you know, straight to the first tee or whether it's the range or whatever. Um, I've seen a lot of people pull driver out of the bag and try and swing at 100, literally 100 miles an hour. Um, and that, it's, just a, it's just a recipe for disaster, particularly if you've got you know, some tight spots, some little adhesions and you're not moving um, freely, uh, something, it's a, something's going to go. Um, it may not be today, but it could be you know, the, the next time you, you come out and then suddenly they can't play for however long and it kind of weighs on their mind. So that's, um, that's a big aspect. I think you're seeing a swing or a change towards, um, I know the fact that, that my club, the Brisbane golf club, we've got a movement space in there that I've, I've set up. Um, I know there's more clubs in and around Australia that are adding these little places that are either designated stretching areas or, um, you know, little gyms or, or bits and pieces where people can go in and actually do those activation things. So, it's just a matter now of teaching. Um, I don't want to be too harsh to that older generation, uh, those baby boomers who you know haven't been warming up for the last 30 years and tend to be a little stuck in their ways, perhaps. Um, <laughs> teaching them that there is there is uh, <clears throat> there is a better way to do it or a different way to do it, um, and it can have a huge difference, not from, only from an injury aspect in, in keeping you injury free, but you, know, you might find the fairway on the first rather than you know off in the right trees because you can't get those hips moving, um, or you know, you end up making double on the first and oh you know I always do this and then you then you're battling the mind game. Um, golf is hard enough as it is. We don't need to be adding any extra mental stress to it. So um, going back to the question, uh, glutes are a big one for me. I try and make sure we get them. They're the epicenter of our power. Um, they control our our lower back as well um, and a lot of that, those swing mechanics come from the glutes. So if they're locked up and not moving, then generally you'll get a little bit of upper body disconnect. The arms might disconnect. They start to come over the top and close club face. And then it's, you know, it's uh, anyone's guess from there. So um, from that, that perspective, glutes are a huge, a um, little bit of thoracic stuff as well. So making sure you can rotate uh, left and right. Um, golf is inherently one-sided. So um, ipsilateral. Um, so, um, yeah, basically, we want to try and warm warm that up and, and get them going from there. Um, some other bits and pieces around, but again, hard to uh, really describe them without having someone in front of me or at least a camera in front of me to, to demo all these things. 
Well, I'm heading out tomorrow morning, Winks, and I may spend, uh, let's say, two and a half minutes of my seven minutes between yeah. Carter First Tee doing some of those things. And yeah. I may potentially uh, find the fringe of the fairway as opposed to the depth of the trees of the first yeah. tee. Me too. I'm playing in the morning as well, so I'll be out. <laughs> it's, a couple uh, of minutes of stretching just for you, Winks. I'll think of you when I'm doing I'm, it. Uh, I'm out. I'm out in the afternoon, so I've got plenty of time, I think. You might have the benefit but of a, it's, a bit it's more a, sleep and, and some stretching. No, yeah. oh, I know. I've got, I got early morning sessions, mate. There's no, no sleep on that one. <laughs> um, it is a cool little, uh, cool little experiment, though. I have got people before, you know, I say, okay, what do you normally do for a warm-up? And they go, well, I go and hit a small bucket. Okay, we're going to scrap that idea for the next two weeks. And they go, oh, I don't know about that. And I was like, listen, just here's the warm-up. Here's what I want you to do. Um, you can still chip and putt. Don't go and hit any balls though, and just see what happens. And you'll be surprised, you know, have, have a play around with yourself. Um, either you won't see any difference or you'll see a, a big difference. And this, I get this is only a you know, correlation, it's not causation. Um, so this may not be the only thing at play here because uh, obviously we know that any particular day we turn up at the course, there could be a thousand things that kind of reflect how we play. Um, but the more often than not, these guys feel like they're more stable through the lower body. Therefore they can generate more force. They can feel like they can square that club base up and they play better and they go, Oh, I didn't even hit any balls. Yeah. Great. So, you know, now if we put the two together, imagine what would happen. Um, so I don't expect people to turn up two hours before like a PGA tour pro and put the full, full warm up in. Um, but we use what we call a hierarchy of our warm up. It's like, okay, well, can you get there 20 minutes before and do some stuff? Okay, great. Even five minutes. I'll take that five minutes more than what most people do. Um, if you don't have access to something like that, then I say do it at home. Like even if you've got to jump in the car and drive 10, 15, 20 minutes, you're not going to lose all of those benefits over that period of time. So if you're self-conscious of doing, you know, there's always some ribbing between the boys. If you're, uh, if you're doing a bit of a warm up exercises here and there and you know, Oh, what are you doing that for you chopper? You know, you get, you're only going to end up in the trees anyway. Um, so if that, that plays on your mind, do it at home in the sanctuary of your, your own home and then jump in the car. And then at least you've got something rather than coming in completely cold. Yeah. I subscribe more to the Brooks Kepka model of turning up 20 minutes before the, uh, the first tee uh, winks. But what I might do yeah. tomorrow morning is spend that 20 minutes yeah. limbering up rather than yeah, hitting Brooks that a little, little bit more talent than you. A touch. <laughs> Just a touch. Look, Winks, you've been uh, outstandingly generous with your time. Before we let you go, uh, where can people find you, whether that's yourself on social media, Winkfit on social media? Uh, easy. Uh, so Winkfit stuff is on Instagram. It's at Winkfit Gym. Uh, the website is winkfit.com.au. Uh, I'm personally at Matt Winkley. Um, and Jim DeGreen is, is the same at Jim uh, T.O. Green. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much covers everything, I think. Um, well, mate, you've, yeah, you've fulfilled every prophecy of, of, of why exactly I wanted to get you onto this program. It's been from the insights on the PGA Tour to helping uh, players like Drudes and I out. It's been, been sensational. We really appreciate your time and joining us on the 19th day. And hopefully it's the first of many. We'd love to have you on again in the future. Thanks, Winks. Boys, that was really fun. I appreciate it.